in all his decades of publishing history, one event has affected Superman more than any other. Worlds lived, worlds died, and that was only the beginning. Superman was never the same. Presenting Superman in Crisis. Episode 30, Creeper Gonna Creep. Dateline, September 5th, 1985. Hello and welcome to Superman in Crisis, a podcast by John Wilson, that's me, chronicling the twilight adventures of the Man of Steel in his pre-crisis continuity. We're covering every issue of Crisis on Infinite Earths and all of the Superman adventures that were published alongside them and then continuing on all the way up to the end of this character's history. We are talking today about the Superman comic that was published on September 5th, 1985, and that is DC Comics Presents 88. We're also going to have a very brief look at some cameo appearances in Infinity Incorporated Annual Number 1. So, um... This is probably going to be a kind of a short episode. The story in the DC Comics Presents issue is a little bit weird. I'm not sure how much I have to say about it. Um, but on the cover, we have Superman and the Creeper um, with the red lightning crisis skies behind them and some sort of yellow tendrils or claw or something uh, in the very far foreground. Uh, it covers by Giffen and Giordano. That's Keith Giffen and Dick Giordano. And uh, when we open up the comic, our title is Prophecy of the Demon Plague. It's a new approach from Steve Englehart, author, Keith Giffen, artist, and Carl Kessel, inker. Now, The Creeper is a Steve Ditko creation at DC. Steve Ditko is one of the two men who uh, created Spider-Man. And uh, I've read his first 20 issues of Spider-Man innumerable times because I had them as collections as a small kid. And I grew up reading, if I read them once, I read them 50 times. Um, and then I reread them several times, you know, as part of rereads and projects and reading to my kids and stuff like that. So um, I rather love Steve Ditko's Marvel work on Spider-Man. Um, I have not read a whole heck ton of his later stuff. I read all of his speedball from the eighties uh, and I just haven't really gotten yet to his Creeper, which goes back to 1968, Showcase 73. So not, you know, not very long after he left Marvel and I think 65 or 66. Uh, and I don't know a whole lot about him other than that uh, Jack Ryder is a, uh, a news talk radio kind of personality and he can turn into the creeper who's this like jumping, laughing bit of insanity. <laughs> the yellow skin, the green hair and the big red, I don't know, mane coming off the back of his shoulders. It, it's a look. It's definitely a whole thing he's got going on there. But the basically the main thing I associate with Creeper is laughter because he's always laughing. There's always ha ha ha's splayed across his panels. Uh, Steve Englehart is our writer. He uh, has some pretty well-known runs on some Marvel comics that I've read, uh, specific, especially the Avengers. And he took over Captain Marvel after Jim Starlin left. And generally I 
really get into Steve Englehart. Uh, if you're going to run a you know, run on books that is done by Steve Englehart, uh, whether you like it or not uh, is, of course, subjective, but it's probably going to have a lot of uh, development and long game type stuff going on. However, this is just a one shot issue of DC Comics Presents, and um, we start out on the moon where there's a big explosion, kabloom, and Superman's there. The uh, the crisis on um, the planet Earth and, of course, in the universe has been affecting gravity. And so the moon has actually been drifting closer and closer to the planet. So he is actually nudging it out farther back away. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Most of the time, whenever the Earth and the moon are drawn, they're drawn to look kind of close together. Or they're drawn where like the moon, I'm sorry, the Earth is like on the horizon of the moon, but because of the size, it looks like it's close. No, the earth and the moon are really freaking far apart, like really, really far. Um, if you ever find like a scale drawing of the earth and the moon, um, it's, it's, it's really far. So anyways, um, on the planet earth, of course you have all of, you know, the end of the world going on. And I don't know, I've never actually seen many of these people, but, uh, you always have in movies and stories, the people on the sidewalks in the city with the signs that say the end is near, the end of the world is nigh, repent, all those sorts of things. And Jack Ryder is interviewing one of these guys and he's being kind of crass. Jack Ryder is a crass personality. He's not being super kind to the man on the street with the uh, apocalypse sign. And that draws the attention of network executives. Superman gets back to the WGBS building, changes to Clark and runs into some higher ups in the hallway. And they're like, you know, you're you've got kind of rapport with your presence on TV. Would you be able to go and and talk to this guy? And uh, Clark's not super comfortable with it, but he agrees. He goes and talks to Jack Ryder and Jack Ryder sees this as censorship. Clark is like, could you just be a bit less extreme, like less insulting? You know, everyone's already scared. Increasing panic is not helping the situation at all. And Jack Ryder basically says, nope, you can take your request and shove it. And after Clark leaves, Jack turns into the creeper because they're talking about crazy people. He's like, crazy people like me. And he jumps out the window. Now, Creeper does stop bad guys. He sees a mugging going on and he stops all the people who are beating up on the poor soul. He takes a couple of bullets and goes down, but then gets right back up again. And we actually get a brief explanation of how this is working. Um, the uh, the man shooting him couldn't know how Professor Emil Yatz gave Jack Ryder his two greatest discoveries, the ability to rearrange the molecular structure of matter and the ability to recover from wounds in mere moments. He never heard Jack Ryder say, he was afraid they'd fall into the wrong hands. Maybe I should just keep them to myself. Then I can make sure they'll be used properly because only I will be able to use them. Which is, of course, a quote from his origin story. So the creeper can rearrange molecular stuff. That might explain how he changes his body. It appears that he like takes two fingers and like presses them against his own clothing. And like maybe with that touch, he rearranges his molecular design. I don't know exactly. In any case, the, um, the apocalypse guy goes to a dried up aqueduct on the edge of Metropolis and is just like hanging out there shouting about the prophecies being true. And he sees some runes on the, uh, the cement concrete wall of the aqueduct. And he hears a voice, help me. Something appears to me as if rising through the man-made barrier runes, 
help me. And so he touches the runes. Y'all, if you ever see weird runes talking to you, don't touch them. Even if they start saying, come forth, come forth, come forth. Because when he does, uh, there's this big demonic force that jumps out shouting, free at last. So later, when the creeper is hanging out at night and sees the uh, apocalypse guy walking, turns into Jack Ryder and approaches him and says, so, uh... I had some interesting reactions to your appearance tonight. I was going to see if you want to be a regular commentator on my show. So he's like doing the opposite of what Clark asked. Instead of like toning it back and pulling it back, he's going to continue to harp on this note. And um, the apocalypse guy says, I would like that. And when we see his face, he now has the runes on his cheek. And we get some brief exposition in 1834, as the Boston aqueduct was being completed, a man half mad imprisoned a demon there to remain hidden from the sight of sane men beneath the waters till the end of time. And time's up. So I guess that explains all of that. And in the midst of all this random happenstance, we get a really cool little scene between Clark and Perry. Clark is finishing up the next evening's news broadcast. Hope your news isn't bad news. Thank you and good night. And as he's leaving his studio, Perry White gets his attention. Clark, I I wanted to tell you how proud I am of the way you're treating this crisis. In case, you know, the news is so bad these days. For the first time in my life, I'm sorry to be printing it. But you have a way about you. It gives people hope, no matter what you're telling them. I always knew you were good, Clark, but this is your finest hour. And, you know, Perry is being really nice to Clark, which is something that, you know, he respects his employees, especially his highly accomplished ones. But he never really expresses that in any sort of emotional way. And Clark doesn't really know how to respond. And Perry gets embarrassed and leaves. But uh, Clark's kind of touched by it all. And then when he goes back to his office, he hears Jack Ryder's TV show interviewing the apocalypse guy. And uh, thanks to you, Jack Ryder, I come to tell everyone of the demons who want to come to this world. Already one such walks among you and everyone who hears my voice will help me bring more. And everyone who hears his voice is watching the TV begins to lose his immortal soul. Everyone, of course, except Clark Kent, because he has the strength to resist. He changes to Superman to see what's going on. He sees lightning hit the uh, broadcast tower, and this sort of electrical demon manifests from the blast. And the uh, the demon, you know, sort of controls Superman, turns him bad. And so Jack Ryder, also seeing the demon out there, has to turn to the creeper, and he sees Superman under the demon's control, flying around, bashing stuff. It actually appears that one good slam with a building is enough to knock the uh, the demon out of Superman's head. Demon uh, flies off saying, and now the plague. The creeper thinks that Superman is down. He goes to check on him. But uh, Superman gets up, makes sure that the creeper is not involved, invites the creeper to help. You're lucky I let you help me, hamburger. He just called Superman hamburger. They both follow the demon to the aqueduct. And the demon goes right back into Superman's head and he thinks that Creeper's going to have to, Creeper thinks he's going to have to fight Superman. But then the demon goes into the Creeper's mind. He uh, thrusts easily into the Creeper's mind, but the operative word here is madman. And so when he goes into the Creeper's head, he finds insanity, which uh, allows Superman to throw a punch that even the, uh, the demon couldn't divert. Actually, the art is extremely unclear 
exactly how Superman punched anything. We see the creeper get hit by the demon. We are told that, you know, the whole thing about the madman. And then we see Superman standing in a dark shadow over a smoky ruin. He says, thanks, creeper. He fought so hard to conquer you that he released me for a moment. Long enough for me to throw a punch he couldn't divert. He could never conquer me. My mind isn't like yours or anybody else's. Just one question, though. What if you'd killed me when you hit him? I only had the one chance, Creeper. To save this world, I'll dare anything. And under the circumstances, I did what I had to do. So, I think Superman just hauled off and punched the Creeper hard enough to knock the demon out of him or to beat the demon because the demons go down with punches, I guess. Um, But Creeper brings up an interesting point. Um, What if that punch to the Creeper had actually killed the creeper and Superman's like, them's the breaks. You can't make an omelet without breaking a few creepy eggs. And uh creeper responds. <laughs> I like it. I like a guy who shoots first and takes names afterwards. Well, thanks again. And Superman flies off, leaving us with um, another instance. There haven't been that many in the course of this podcast. But in the course of my Superman reading, there have been dozens of instances where Superman was perfectly willing to destroy slash kill his enemy in order to slay, save the day. Um, so, yeah, like I said, very, very odd story. Um, Keith Giffen made a name for himself as an artist on the Legion of Superheroes. And I do like his art sometimes. Whenever he lets himself get more stylistic, I tend to like it less. I used to do a show about Image Comics, which is uh, the episodes are still out there um, at all the pouches and Image Comics podcast. And I got to uh, Keith Giffen's creator owned uh, series called Trencher, which a lot of people really like. And I'm glad that they do. But I could not get into it mainly, mainly because of the visuals. Um, but so that is DC Comics Presents 88. We are told in the next issue box, the next issue will feature Superman and the Omega Men on sale October 3rd. Uh, but that appears to be it for this one. No, um, no repercussions or such going forward. We do, however, have uh, one more issue to briefly look at. This is Infinity Incorporated Annual Number 1. The story is entitled Green Dreams and Precious Illusions. Roy Thomas is the writer-editor. Ron Harris is the guest penciler for a lot of the comic. But Todd McFarlane, the regular penciler on the monthly, uh, does like 10 issues, uh, 10 pages rather, in the middle. Um, Infinity Incorporated is an Earth 2 superhero team comic that basically takes the idea that the Justice Society of America members are all like later middle age, they're getting up there in years. And so their children have come forward to take up the superheroing mantle. And so you have Jade and Obsidian, who are the children of the Green Lantern, which uh, they've been trying to connect with him basically for the entire length of the series so far. This is the issue where they finally get to have a talk about the fact that they're his kids because he didn't know he had kids. Star Spangled Kid is here. He, of course, goes back to the Golden Age because he um, you know, was in the 40s, but he there was a time warp thing. So he jumped forward decades. He didn't age those decades. Um, anyways, several other characters, but basically what this issue is about is Jade and Obsidian, not only, uh, talking to their dad and find, you know, confirming that he's their father, but also the old golden age enemy, the Rose and the Thorn. It's a woman who as Rose, she is, you know, normal 
woman living her life, but she also has this evil personality that she doesn't just switch personalities, but she switches physical appearance as well. And uh, so the thorn uh, was an antagonist for the flash in the golden age, the green lantern. Occasionally she's shown up in some of the earth one Earth two crossover stuff. Um, but turns out that whenever she was um, temporarily cured, or temporarily under treatment to, to not be the thorn anymore. She and Alan Scott green lantern were married and um, just long enough for her to get pregnant. And then the thorn comes back and ruins everything. And um, Alan Scott thinks that she dies or leaves or something. There's also another old threat to Alan Scott named the Harlequin. This is actually the name that would later go on to be used for Harley Quinn, but there was an earlier Harlequin and, uh, in civilian identity, she was Alan Scott's secretary, and she still continues to be his uh, his right hand woman in running his company, Molly Maine. Uh, and she has had a crush on Green Lantern ever since their young adulthood. Um, and in this issue, basically, Jade and Obsidian find out that the Thorn was their mother. Rose kills herself as the Thorn in order to stop being such a bad person. And uh, Alan Scott and Molly Maine confess their love. They get married and Molly Maine sort of becomes a surrogate mother figure in the lives of Jaden Obsidian for them to connect to in their relationship with their father. All of that brings us to the end of the issue where there is a wedding and all of the Justice Society members are invited. So, of course, Power Girl is there seated next uh, between Robin and Wildcat, who apparently is doing okay physically. I think this is pretty early in the crisis days, so he has not actually suffered his injuries yet. And as the newlywed couple uh, exits the church, uh, Superman is there with Flash on one side and then Jade Nipsey on the other, holding swords in the in an arc over the uh, walkway as the newlywed couple walks down between them. So just just some cameos. Not a big deal. No one even says anything, but they're there uh, supporting their Justice Society friend in his new marriage. This is almost just nominally a crisis uh, crossover. Uh, Obsidian, who was involved in the crisis's early issues, he was one of those heroes that was gathered by Harbinger. He returns to the team in this, and his memories of what happened in those first few issues of Crisis are actually really muddled, which uh, kind of makes me wonder about uh, the connections between the heroes being involved in Crisis and when they go back to their regular lives. But we are going to be checking in with this series over the next couple of monthly issues as well, issues 21 and 22. Not exactly sure what the level of involvement of our supers is, but I'm hoping to see some more Power Girl. I mean, Superman of Earth 2 would be cool to see too, but I'd really like to see some Power Girl um, action coming out of the story. We'll have to see when we get there. But that does bring us to the end of this episode. Told you it was going to be a short one. Um, next week... September 12th, we're going to have the Superman issue 414 to talk about, as well as probably Superpowers number four. Um, I would imagine that's where Superman and Firestorm are going to get their chapter of the uh, Dark Side story, but we'll see when we get there. And uh, that's going to be next week, so read them if you got them, and uh, we will talk to you then. And as always, thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of JohnReadsComics.com, home of virtually all of the podcasts produced by me, John Wilson. Each show has its own feed on your favorite podcatcher, or the whole group can be followed under the name John Reads Comics. Remember, there is no H in John. 
Feedback for all shows can be sent to johnreadscomics at gmail.com, and I will plan to read it on a future episode unless you ask me not to. Follow me on Twitter at johnreadscomics, and thank you always for listening to podcasts from johnreadscomics.com. Thank you.